listening to First Church Charlotte. Greetings, everyone. Pastor Nathan here. It is an honor to bring the word of the Lord to you. Tonight, we are continuing a Bible study we started last Wednesday night that I entitled Living Prophetically. And it is my goal in this short Bible series to answer some of the questions that are being asked in this moment, this, uh, this year, when there is so much anxiety and fear that is a part of our, our day-to-day living uh, about prophecy. Uh, there is, as is normal, in any time of uncertainty, any time of anxiety, there is a tremendous upsurge in interest in prophecy. Um, this is not, not wrong in itself, it just is. It's the nature of uh, the human heart, the limited things we know, and our desire uh, to see further than our human eyes allow us to see. Um, I want to review what we talked about last week. Uh, I think it is, it is a good framework for what I'm trying to, to share. Uh, the first four things I gave you were my observances as a student, uh, of the word of the Lord and as a long-term uh, church person. And, and so those were, number one, uh, prophecy is not usually understood in the generation it is given in. Now, this is an ob- observance of Bible prophecy. The vast majority of Bible prophecy is not understood in the generation it is given. Uh, that leads us to number two. Prophecy is more often used as a witness to the future than understanding to the present. Again, this is just an observance of biblical prophecy. This really isn't in debate. Just, I mean, read prophecies in the Bible. They are almost all of them, when they refer to the future, they are more often a witness to the future than uh, understanding to the present. present. Number three, every single interpreter of prophecy who has put a a date um, on when things must be 100% of them have been wrong. Not 97%, every single one of them has been wrong. That should teach us uh, humility in pursuing understanding. Uh, That is not to say that prophecy doesn't have its value. That is to say we have a tendency in our humanity to either misunderstand it or to misuse it. Uh, That's not always the case, but there is a tendency Um, in the carnal heart to misunderstand what heaven is trying to give to earth. However, the fourth thing I wanted to tell you was simply this. Despite of the risks involved, uh, prophecy is one of the most abundant gifts that is given by the Spirit uh, to the church. We want as much as possible to have the fruit of spiritual prophecy in our life. We want to benefit from divine preparation and spiritual insight. And so uh, those four things I gave you as personal observations. Uh, Then I gave you four examples of how we see prophecy in the word of the Lord. If you, um, there's, there's more than this, but almost, I would say this is a great gathering. (laughs) Uh, Most of it's encapsulated in these four things. Number one, you can see prophecy in the scripture as a preparation for the future, not always an explanation of the future, but um, a very helpful preparation for the future. Number two, uh, it can be a warning uh, about judgment to come and grace available today. 
uh, Nineveh, repent. Uh, you, you see what I'm saying here. Number three, it can expose through action the heart or the character of an individual. Uh, this is an example of Old Testament prophecy. If you want to understand that better, you can watch last week's uh, Bible study. And then number four, and this is probably the most common way uh, you will find biblical prophecy uh, given and even prophecy today uh, given through men and women of faith in our generation. And that is to give hope in spite of chaos, to prepare you emotionally and spiritually for trouble to come through which you will emerge and through which you will work a spiritual mission. Now, I want to show you that a little bit uh, a little bit further here in part two of living prophetically. So uh, the, the, the main thing that I'm trying to get at in a helpful way, I don't want to simply be a critic on the wall and kind of, you did this wrong, you did that wrong. No, that's, that's unhelpful. Um, we all do many things wrong. <laughs> that's not the story of faith. And it might be the truth, but that's not, that's not really the story of faith. Faith is a different story. Faith, to use an example of the wise man, faith is... Faith is this story. The just man falls seven times and rises up again. Do you see how that faith story is different and much more helpful than just being a critic on the walls where you don't know this, you did this wrong? Uh, I, I don't want to fall into that habit. Uh, I want to I have the habit of uh, hope. Uh, yeah, you fail. I fail seven times. <laughs> and we got back up seven, seven times. Um, so... There is a tendency within us to desire prophecy for a different reason than the reason for which God gave it to us. Um, you can see this repeatedly in the word of the Lord. Uh, it's the same thing that is within the human heart where the crowd that follows Jesus doesn't want truth. What they want is sign. Uh, they don't want instruction in ethics and spiritual life. Um, they don't want repentance. Um, they don't want life transformation. What they want is mystical uh, kind of titillation, <laughs> mystical excitement, um, mystical drama. It's almost like, show us a movie. Don't ask us to clean the house. Um, that's the way of the human heart. Um, you know, don't, don't, let's, let's not clean the house. Let's just watch a movie. <laughs> so uh, I want us to take the step beyond that. And I want us to see prophecy in spiritual, uh, with spiritual eyes for a divine purpose, not simply for the interests of our personality type or, or the like. So let me establish this that will help us profoundly to understand prophecy. And that is this, God has a mission in the earth. There is a purpose for which God has placed you where you are He's anointed you to do what you can do. He has connected you to people in your world. God has a purpose in the earth. The purpose is not entertainment. <laughs> the purpose is not religiosity for its own cultural value. The purpose is spiritual. There is a contest of kingdoms. There is those who will um, be open to God and be invited to be partakers of his kingdom, and there is the lost who are being preyed upon by spiritual predators, the, worker, the works of hell. Um, we have to be careful in our 
establishing or our understanding of spiritual mission, not to see the sinner as the enemy, but to see the sinner as the lost sheep. The enemy is the forces of hell. Um, It is possible for a person to be a worker of hell uh, without even thinking in terms of any spiritual foundation. In the same manner, uh, it's possible for us to be used by the Lord uh, even when we're not where we're right, we're really where we should be. Um, So we we must remember there is a mission. Uh, The church is here for a reason. Um, And it's not just for us to celebrate ourselves. Uh, There is a a harvest field that God has placed us in. And it breaks his heart when we can perceive him and we can perceive each other, but we can't perceive the mission. This breaks God's heart. And it represents the only, uh, how shall I say this? Well, let me say it this way. The only prayer request that Jesus um, (laughs) gave in, in this manner um, is uh, pray the Lord of the harvest would send laborers. Um, so, so the issue is, it's the problem with the church is not that we fail to perceive God and his value. Um, the problem of the church is not that we fail to see each other's value. We are, we are by nature, nature tribal. We love people like us, and we distrust anybody who has different values. Um, all that's just human nature, do you see? Um, and so these things in themselves are just the manner in which we, we struggle to manifest the kingdom of God here on earth because why we are here is for this harvest field in which we are placed. Um, and so we need laborers who they're able to see more than just the Lord of the harvest and they're able to value more than just the co-workers. And they're able to care more about their paycheck at the end of the week. And they work in the field. Don't ever let that be missed. That's why as a church, we don't want to be a maintenance organization where we simply take care of saved people. We entertain saved people. We reassure saved people. Everything we do has to be missional. Or we break God's heart. Now, I, I don't mean that to sound harsh, but I'm telling you, you, I know you hear this a lot from me. And I think it's the right thing to hear from me. We are here for a reason. Um, And that mission will be served by many things, including prophecy. But that mission must stay at uh, the forefront of our heart, the forefront of our spiritual vision. there's a tendency within us to, we want to use prophecy to avoid trouble. And so whenever there's a word, we immediately begin calculating what should we do to prepare because what we want uh, to, is to avoid trouble. But avoiding trouble is not the mission. <laughs> what God wants is to fill, fulfill a mission in the earth. And if you want to be biblical and look at the New Testament model, what you will see is that God places his church in the midst of trouble. And out of that, in this divine way, comes revival. You won't see this idea, with the exception of protecting the life of men and women whose work is not yet done. Once it's done, there is a, there is a willingness to allow their martyr to become testimony uh, for their truth.
And that's very important for uh, convincing unbelievers. Um, the original idea from apologetics, why would anyone die for a lie? You know, the critic says, they made it all up. Well, okay, but why would you die for something you made up? It becomes powerful testimony. We are not the most important part of the story. To live as Christ, to die as gain. It's the mission that is the most important part of the story. Now, it's natural for us to want to avoid uh, trouble and suffering. But in the New Testament, God places the church in the midst of trouble and great revival comes as a result of the church's testimony in the midst of trouble. All right, stay with me. Um, I've entitled this series uh, Living Prophetically because what would that mean? Now, I know my first response if I heard someone say that was to think that they kind of wake up every day and they, uh, to the exclusion of every, everything else, are looking for a word of knowledge or a, a word of wisdom. Uh, I'm not unsympathetic to that. In fact, <laughs> true confession, that's kind of how I live my life. <laughs> Every day I'm seeking understanding. Uh, and that may just be a function of my personality. I, I don't know. But I'm, if, I'm not saying that's wrong. But if you ask me, what does it mean to live prophetically? My first response is going to be the person who sees with understanding. They don't just see trouble. They see how to avoid trouble. You, you get the idea. Um, I, would, I need to be reminded uh, and chances are all of us need to be reminded that living prophetically uh, is more than just avoiding uh, trouble. Prophecy serves the mission. The mission does not serve prophecy. Prophecy is yet another tool in the hands or, or invested in the church by the power of God to support the mission. And so prophecy serves the mission. The mission does not serve prophecy. <laughs> prophecy is not the mission. People, souls, are the mission. Okay, so, all right, I've established that. I, I want you to turn in your Bibles. I'm trying to involve your Bibles more uh, as we progress. I believe the Bible is, uh, uh, it's foundational to everything we're trying to do. It's not enough for us to, you know, just kind of feel this or think that. We've got to be founded in this Bible. So get your Bibles out, and I want you to turn to uh, Acts chapter number 11, and I'm going to show you an example of how prophecy serves the mission, okay? This is chapter number 11. We're going to read it, verse number 27. I'm reading the New King James Version. As you guys know, I, I, I most often do when I'm teaching. So, and in those days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Prophets. Then one of them named Agabus. Look, if you have a name like Agabus, you are automatically spiritual. <laughs> you're, just, you're just already powerful. Um, here we have prophet Agabus. And you're like, ooh, <laughs> Agabus is there with him. He stood up and showed by the Spirit capital S Spirit, showed by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. The author of Acts, Luke, is giving you connection to the generation so this claim can be authenticated by the readers of that time. They would have known this. Um, and so uh, there's a great famine, the days of Claudius Caesar, as if the writer's saying, that's the one I'm talking about. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. 
And this they also did, sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. What's happening here? Great famine. There is prophecy and they do what they can. Now, this is not the same kind of effort that, say, Pharaoh and Joseph would do, where they, in many ways, feed the world. Uh, that would have been a real systematic civilization-level effort. This is people moved spiritually to understand, to do what they can. Not, not everything they might wish, but everything they can. And so they do it. And it happens on a fairly small scale. This is not a Joseph-level project, okay? And yet it's there. It's in the book. The story is told. The prophet's there. This is Acts chapter number 11. Now, let me tell you what's getting ready to happen. What's getting ready to happen is there's going to be an open door to the Gentiles, all right? This great truth is going to not just be a Jewish phenomenon. It is going to become a uh, worldwide phenomenon. This is super important to understand. If the gospel does not get out of Asia, it will never be the harvest that God intends for it to be. And so it's God's purpose, one way or another, it's going to get out of Asia. And so this is what you're seeing here. There is a tremendous witness shown here from the hearts of the Gentile church. Where are they at when this happens? They are in Syria, a city called Antioch. It's not, it has a good number of Jewish uh, people living there as subculture, um, but it is Gentile, and it's the first place where what happens? Revival starts among the Gentiles. It is really, with the exception of uh, the story of Peter and uh, the sheet of unclean animals coming down out of heaven, and the Lord saying, you do not call unclean what I have cleansed, um, with the exception of that, the, the church revival, that's the introduction, that's the open door to the Gentiles. After that, the flood starts in Antioch. What is the testimony of what God's doing in Antioch? He's showing changed hearts. And so the Antioch church raises money, gives it to elders to help feed the Jewish uh, Christians during their uh, great famine. Um, this shows their heart. And I, I believe, and I think there is a fair amount of scholarly support to this, that this is one of the factors that helps the Jewish people open their hearts to the Gentile revival. Uh, there is going to be, four chapters later in Acts 15, there is going to be the open door uh, to the Gentiles, uh, and there's going to be the removal of all the typical religious observances that the Jewish people have known since the time of Moses, um, and that's how they please God, and the Jewish people are going to agree that that's not necessary for the Gentiles. This is a huge thing. Um, I think... This is an example of prophecy serving the mission, not being the mission. Prophecy must serve the mission because the church is here for a reason. We have a mandate, we have a purpose, and that is what we must stay focused upon, and prophecy serves that. This moment, Acts chapter number 11, shows how a prophet moved on by God gives a word that the church receives, acts upon, and it aids the next breakthrough of mission. Not the next breakthrough of prophecy. 
Prophecy serves the mission. It gives the next breakthrough of mission. And the greatest revival in history is how Christianity swept uh, the Gentile world. And so I, I want to show you another place where here in uh, the book of Acts, through the same prophet, I'm going to show you another example of this happening. Now, we read in Acts chapter number 11, and we are going to now read in Acts chapter number 21. So turn in your Bibles, Acts chapter number 21, and we're going to read at, at verse number 10. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Uh, Agabus is back in the picture. Um, Verse number 11, when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet, action is prophecy, we talked about that uh, last week, number three, how you'll often see um, acting out an image uh, as a part of prophetic uh, expression. Uh, He took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Powerful. I'm telling you what, if I had a prophecy like that in my life, I would have chills and you would too. Don't, don't, act, don't act too cool. <laughs> that is a powerful moment. Um, I've had one event like that in my life where, and I've told, I've, I've shared it before, but I had uh, one of the elders in my life um, uh, preached at our church a good bit, uh, uh, J.T. Pugh. He's, he's passed on to glory. <clears throat> he surprised me dropping him off to the airport, and he took about five minutes and, and prophesied over me and just wrecked me. I'll be honest with you, I was wrecked, and um, I was scared. Um, the things he said were not glory. <laughs> they were probably more about suffering and my need to stay my course and be strong and have courage in the face of fear. And Lord, if he was not right, um, he nailed it. Um, this is Agabus standing before Paul and giving this image, the person who owns this belt, and he's, 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 he's standing in front of him, is going to be, if he in Jerusalem, the Jews are going to bind him and deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. So um, if the point here was to avoid trouble, Paul would have a very clear thing to do, right? Just exit stage right. Uh, he would just, if the point of prophecy was to avoid trouble, um, he just would, would do something different, not go. Uh, let's keep reading. This is verse 12, 21 Acts. Now, when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him, Paul, not to go up to Jerusalem. We had a word from God. We had prophecy. If you go, there's going to be suffering. God must not want you to suffer, Paul. God must want you to find another way. Uh, Don't do it. The word of the Lord has come, and there's suffering ahead. And Paul answered, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul gets deeply, profoundly, that the point of prophecy is, it, it, it is not to avoid trouble, not to avoid suffering. The point of prophecy is to manifest the kingdom of God 
in spite the suffering, in spite the threat, the kingdom of God is manifest. Or let me say it differently. Prophecy supports the mission. It isn't the mission. It supports the mission. And uh, he goes, and what is what happens there? He truly is uh, arrested, and he is placed in prison, and he begins a very different, from this moment forward, the style of his ministry will begin to change. It will be less hands-on, and it will be more written down. Do you see the transition that happens here? Because of this moment, Paul is less hands-on, and he's more writing down. And as a result, we have all the letters of the Apostle Paul. The church has spiritual foundations, all because Paul couldn't be there near as much, and he had to write it down. And you can almost pick any any book of, of Paul. This is this is Paul. This is the beginning of the, I'm just turning at random, second. Uh, Corinthians, verse number one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, Timothy's with him, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to see what happened here. If he would have been there, we wouldn't have 2 Corinthians. The prophet says, if you go, there's going to be trouble. Paul says, if trouble is my path, let trouble come. I'm ready. This is the power of prophecy serving the mission, not the mission serving uh, prophecy. Uh, Agabus, as an anointed prophet, in both cases, faithfully delivers the word of the Lord. And those who receive the prophecy in both cases, manifest a heart for the mission, a heart for the call, a heart for the harvest. This is the kind of people we want to be. This is how we want to live uh, prophetically before the people, not to hide from the world, not to save me and mine, but to change the world and manifest the heart of God through the power of the name of Jesus. So let me end up with a modern story of how prophecy can manifest itself um, among us. So you are aware of the tremendous storm that recently hit Lake Charles. Um, We are somewhat connected to uh, one of the churches there because of uh, my wife's family connection, uh, her dad and mom. Uh, spent many years pastoring Living Way, uh, which now is pastored by another um, pastor you know, Pastor Brent Keating, who often preached for us in the years past. So we're connected to that church, and you're aware of how the storm came through, has destroyed so much, homes, uh, the church is, I don't know, I don't know if you could say it's destroyed, but it's <laughs> its in bad shape. It, 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 it's, it's essentially destroyed. Um, at least for the next good while until they can rebuild. Um, Something interesting happened there uh, at the beginning of August. Now, the storm hit, uh, let's say, just past the middle of August. Now, before they knew the storm was uh, even aimed at them, on August 3rd, uh, there was a prayer meeting at the church, and um, Brother Nugent, my wife's father, they call him Bishop there, 
at the prayer meeting, uh, he gave uh, tongues and interpretation, and it was this, and I actually have someone wrote it down, and so I have it to you. Remember, this is a couple weeks before the storm, before they even know it's going to hit them, before they even know it's aimed in their region. They're not, uh, it's not on their radar screen, so to speak. Um, and he gave uh, tongues and interpretation at this prayer, room and he, at prayer meeting, and he said this, Behold, I will hold you with my right hand. Look unto me, saith the Lord, for in the midst of the wind is a hiding place. Come into my name, saith the Lord. Remember the scripture, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Come into my name, saith the Lord. There is safety there. I've prepared a place for you, and I'll keep you in the midst of the storm that is just before you. Now, this is two weeks before the storm, and it's a church prayer meeting, and there is tongues and interpretation, and it is one of those prophecies which is directly applicable to the, ex- the lived experience that all of these people are about to go through. It is, it's, it's what's coming next. Um, they don't know it at the time, but it is, it is there. This prophecy prepares them emotionally, spiritually, this Prophecy reassures them that in spite of chaos, in spite of pain, suffering, loss, uh, losing, many people have lost everything. Uh, In spite of that, God is in control and it gives the believer confidence that this is not uh, not a surprise to God. Uh, Let me tell you what the prophecy does not do for them. It does not allow them to, in some way, you know, stockpile what they need and let the rest of the city suffer. That would be the prophecy serving their needs and not the mission for which God has placed them there. So all of us are familiar with preppers. Um, There's TV shows and whatnot about prepping. I think most of us have a little bit of prepper in us. Um, I have a little bit, not, not enough to mention, but my wife has a little bit more than me. But I think there is some, there's some good stewardship involved in it. Um, getting what you need before you need it, um, organizing yourself financially and physically, um, taking precautions against uncertain futures and potential uh, everything from social unrest to you know hurricanes, storms. You get the idea. Um, so let's say you receive this and you thought the purpose of prophecy um, was to uh, it wasn't for the mission, but it was for the self. What you would do is you would make sure you had enough food for your family. You would make sure you had enough preparation for your family. And then when trouble came, you would hide and guard your doors and windows with your AR-15s. And anybody get on your property, you'd be like, get off my property. And then you'd, you know, you'd, you'd threaten people. Um, this would be the prepper approach to prophecy. Um, but remember, prophecy serves the mission. If you say you're a Christian, Even if you know what is coming and you prepared, what would you do with it when trouble came? Well, you would help it, you would use it to help others, do you see? So prophecy always serves the mission. And that is what we have to see. If we're going to be the people who live prophetically, that's literally going to mean that the choices we make testify to the kind of people that God said would make up his kingdom. Do you see that? We live prophetically when our walk matches our talk. When our heart 
cares for more than just us. And everything we have supports the mission to manifest the kingdom of God in the here and now as testimony. Do you see? The result of that is that the kingdom of heaven has influence in the harvest field and sheaves, souls, are brought into the kingdom because that we are and we, um, how shall I say, we, we demonstrate the kind of people that God has said from the beginning would make up his kingdom. No matter how far you go back, there is a component where you are a blessing to the world. Even Abraham, through you, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And this principle is repeated through uh, the scripture. Jesus in the temple raging at money collectors. And he says, this place was supposed to be a place of prayer for all people, not just you, not just the children of Israel, not just the Jews. This court of the Gentiles, that's where this is happening. It was supposed to be where all people could come, but you turned it into a place to make your life convenient. Not a place to open your heart to the needs of your world. You turned it into a place to make your life convenient. This was not supposed to be. We as believers can never let the mission slip. We can never turn our church into celebrations of self, into celebrations of a cultural style, into celebrations of a tribal uh, acceptance we have to be the people who more than anything else perceive that we are placed in a harvest field and we can perceive God, yes, that's the spirituality of the believer. And we can value the other workers, that is the horizontal connection to the church. But we never forget that what is at the heart of the mission is the souls for which Jesus Christ died. I love you, let's live prophetically. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray you would be with your people. I pray you would help us manifest your heart. I pray you would help us with our lives and our choices. Demonstrate the kingdom of God. Not simply use spiritual gifts to avoid uh, difficult paths or use spiritual power to hide from the troubles of our current generation. But Lord Jesus, help us to in some way manifest your heart to our community, to our families, to our neighborhoods, to our friends and neighbors. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.